right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's and Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson, Lane Gillespie here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We're going to be joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World. He'll Join us at 340 and KUSports.com to talk a little KU basketball. We're going to have a top 10 list to get to today of the most, I guess, now useless electronic devices. It's National VCR Day. Uh, we have some audio to share. Joey Asifu, Zach Clements, plenty of KU basketball talk, including uh, some really cool KU guests that are going to be upcoming on our show. Not today. I mean, Matt Tate is a great KU guest. When I say uh, KU guest, I'm, I'm referring to former KU basketball player, and we'll have a couple of them on tomorrow's show. And, and tomorrow, we're going to be out at Jefferson's West. It's the West location over at Wakarusa. Um, you can come on out if you tell them you're there. And, and this applies to either of the Jeffersons. So if you can't make it out from 3 to 6 during our show, if you can make it during lunch or if you can make it for dinner late at night, whatever, go to either of the Jeffersons here in Lawrence. You tell them you're there for the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic, 50% of the proceeds go to the really good cause of the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. Highly recommend that. And if it just happens to line up that you can make it out to come out, see our show, because I'm going to be out there at Jefferson's 3 to 6. We're going to have some RCST trivia extra t-shirts that we're going to be giving away. Uh, we're going to have some other goodies to give away. Uh, I'm going to try to give away some uh, Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic tickets as well tomorrow. So you're going to want to come out. You can say hi, meet some of the people and everything. Um, at the Jefferson's West location from 3 to 6. But we're going to have some really good uh, guests of former KU basketball players on the show with us coming up tomorrow. We had Cole Aldridge yesterday. I think we're uh, in the works to have like Diedrich Lawson and Ron Kellogg and uh, maybe a few other guys coming in the coming days for shows. And then Thursday is the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. Friday, the dinner. Saturday, the Rock Chalk Round Bowl Classic. You can still get your tickets, including for the game on Thursday. Go get them at 23rd Street Brewery here in Lawrence. Kevin McCuller has officially arrived on campus for KU. The uh, KU Men's Basketball Twitter account just tweeted out a video with him getting introduced and, and shaking hands out front of, uh, I don't know if it was Allen Fieldhouse or McCarthy Hall or whatever. Uh, the freshman arrived a few days ago, and now Kevin McCuller arrives on campus for KU and you know by all accounts like I don't know Grady Dick and MJ Rice and Ernest Duday and Zuby Edge for all these guys I don't know their potential might line up to be you know future lottery picks you, you just don't know with freshmen um with Kevin McCuller he could absolutely have a you know long NBA career I, I've kind of said before that if you have the season you're expecting to this year like why could he not be a first round pick all those things as far as immediate value, though, what he's bringing to the table, this is probably your biggest addition that you made this season. Maybe it would be Grady Dick because there is thought that he could be such a good scorer that it would be otherworldly for you from a freshman. Um, but it, just as far as newcomers coming to the team, it, it's hard to beat a guy who has three years playing a Big 12 play, four seasons at Texas Tech. He redshirted his first year. And a guy that's experienced, a guy that can play defense, a guy that can play a lot of different positions on the basketball court. 
Yeah, without a doubt. And he's the guy who, you know, is praised by his defense, especially coming from a team like Texas Tech. Mark Adams praised defense, and Texas Tech became one of the best defensive teams in the country. I thought they were going to go really far in the tournament, like all the way to the Final Four, possibly on defense alone. McCuller, holy cow, was a key piece for that, and he is a huge addition. I certainly love it that he's that he's coming along to KU and he's going to be welcomed with open arms here in Lawrence. He's going to be an absolutely phenomenal player this year in my eyes if he stays healthy. I think he could be one of the best defenders in the country as well. You know, he could really go along with the defenders on this KU team, especially with Dewan Harris having a point guard like Dewan and then a wing like Kevin McCuller. Man, this defense for KU honestly might be something special. Yeah, it's it's going to be really good, and I think the thing with Kevin McCuller, you you mentioned the the health thing, like that'll be a big key. Uh, so we're going to do our our Kevin McCuller deep dive here. We've done some of our other players. We've taken a little time off in between uh, uh, our next ones. We still have a couple big ones to get to, including this one with Kevin McCuller. Came into Texas Tech, he was a top two hundred recruit in the country, ranked one ninety fourth in the twenty four seven composite. Uh, originally out of San Antonio, Texas, we've heard the story. You know, great friends with Jalen Wilson growing up. Averaged 10 points, four and a half rebounds, three assists per game, nearly a steal and a half per game last season, what was his redshirt junior season. Or I guess technically because of COVID, it, it would technically be like a, a fourth or, I don't know, fourth sophomore season, something like that, because um, he'll be a, a fifth-year senior, but with COVID rules, like really, a, I don't know, it, it's so confusing now. Nonetheless, he could hypothetically have up to two more years of, He's hypothetically a fifth-year junior, basically. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so he basically could have two more years. Academically, he's a fifth-year senior. It all gets very confused. He also shot 40% from the field, 31% from three, 72% at the foul line. We've mentioned this several times here on the show, um, but he was averaging even better numbers than that before he had the injury. He was averaging like 15, 6, and 3, and... He was shooting 45% from the field. He was shooting just under 40% from three. And then he injures both ankles. He misses some time. He misses some games. He comes back probably earlier than he should have, and he plays through it. He fights through it because he wanted to win, and that's just kind of the competitor and, and guy that he is. And he didn't have the same lift on his jump shot. He didn't have the same lift in driving into the lane and attacking the rim as well. And so the numbers kind of fell because of it, but he still wound up. You know, Texas Tech had the number one defense in the country, according to Ken Palm Adjusted Defensive Efficiency, and he was a guy that was probably the best defender, the most versatile defender on the best defense in the country. And, you know, we've heard from several media members that it was a disgrace that he wasn't on the All-Big 12 defensive team. Point blank, this is one of the best defenders in the country. That's the type of season that he had last season. And what he did in the NCAA tournament, I think it inspires you even more. Maybe it's just that as time went on, those those injuries started to heal, or if it's just him playing up to the competition, those are all good things when you're going to be at a school like Kansas where you need to play up in higher competition. He averaged nearly 14 points per game. He went 16 of 28, so well over 50% from the field in the NCAA tournament in their three games in their run to the Sweet 16. Um, and, and you could go back to last year, too, and you total his last two years of NCAA tournament games. Um, he would be averaging over, you know, like 13 points per game, four rebounds, two assists, nearly two steals per game, 31 of 64 from the field, which is 48%, 31% from three. By all accounts, this guy comes in as a really good player and a pretty, you know, 
uh, I guess, rounded out product, essentially. This isn't something where you're going to have to develop him in all these ways and and hope that he can focus and, and do those things on defense that we know Bill Self cares about so much. And, and that's kind of the beauty of this, hitting it with the transfer portal. Um, you get the more kind of finished product, so to speak. But anyway, he uh, also is redshirt sophomore season, kind of a different role. Um, last year, he was more asked to play as kind of this like off-guard two who sometimes would handle the ball, sometimes would be the point guard. And in that situation, he was averaging more assists this past year. But the downside was he wasn't around the glass grabbing rebounds as much. His sophomore year, he was more of that wing 3-4 guy. He averaged 10.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, a little over two assists, almost two steals per game. I would imagine it's going to be kind of a mix of those two roles here for Kansas. Because on one hand, Bill Self likes playing two guys, two point guards next to each other. And um, if it's a lineup where you have Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson as the other wings on the floor and not a second point guard, then he's going to basically be the second point guard in that lineup. But also, he's going to switch one through four, maybe even one through five defensively. He is going to be a guy that can grab and go off off the glass. Um, he is going to be a guy that... Um, when you are playing two point guards together, he's going to play that three or four. So probably kind of a mix in terms of what he does rebounding-wise. The point is that he's shown the ability to do both, just adding to the kind of Swiss Army knife that he has shown to be. Um, so as we talked about, he can have two more years left to play, but I don't really expect it. I don't know where you are. Like I feel the same way with Jalen Wilson. He's coming back. Both these guys can have multiple years of play remaining, but I think the idea for both of them is probably – Let's have a great year, and then let's peace. Yeah, I think that's just the expectation coming into coming into this season. Jay Will and uh, and Kevin McCall are both outstanding in their rights as much as they could come back, you know, pursue professional basketball once you get a chance after this season. But, you know, it's going to be fun watching these guys try to repeat. And, you know, you mentioned Kevin McCuller. You know, he could guard the one through five. I think Jalen could do that a little bit as well, mainly just the bigger guys with them being 6'8". McCuller 6'8". Six six. He would be a tall point guard, by the way, if he was if he came in as that second point man. But I think the biggest thing that he's going to strive in, the thing to watch for, is going to be his offense. Because you losing the big offensive production that the Wings had in Christian Brown and Ochai, you're losing all of that. The tremendous shooting, the outstanding finishing at the rim, especially with both of those guys as flashy as they were in the paint. McCuller's going to be the guy to watch for and try to step into their shoes. It's tough for one guy to step in four shoes coming into this year, but I think he can do it. You know, he's got the experience. I, I think he could come in and really show out in front of 16-3 in Allen Fieldhouse. So. Yeah, and I think the the guy that I really look at him is Christian Brown that, that you mentioned because um, Christian is kind of that like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, wing who they're using him as kind of a 3-4. Like, he can do those things. He can grab and go. Uh, he's not going to be as good of a three-point shooter, but as as efficient as, as Christian was at shooting threes, he didn't take like a ton. It was like three and a half a game. Kevin McCuller was taking like three a game last year. So um, it's not like all that different in that there is a path for him to fill those shoes. But like you said, that's that's tough to do. So really the question becomes, can he do enough to fill those shoes of a guy who probably should have been first team all Big 12 in Christian Brown um, and then essentially – you know, you get enough else from elsewhere that you're adding these newcomers or internal player improvement to kind of counteract that. And you don't even necessarily like, that's the beauty of the tournament. Next year's team could be better than this past year's team over the course of the regular season. They could be slightly worse, but you're still going to have a shot if you're even in the, you know, spitting distance there of how good this team was, whether it is a little better, whether it is a little worse, because, you know, just 
give yourself a shot. Be one of those eight to ten teams or something that we talk about coming into the uh, the the NCAA tournament that can win a title. Um, you mentioned the offense. That's kind of the swing skill there. It's the shooting. Uh, that's going to kind of be the difference. It, like, no matter what, Kevin McCuller is going to be a good player. He's going to be impactful for this team. The difference between Kevin McCuller, all Big 12, or all these accolades, or, you know, having a giant impact versus just being a good player. Right. It, it comes down to the offense. It comes down to the shooting. Um, and, and, again, like, you, we, we go back to what the weakness of this next year's KU's team could be. Defense should be great. You have a lot of athletes. You have a lot of guys who should be able to be good in transition, be able to grab and go off the glass. The shooting becomes more of the question. That doesn't mean it can't happen. There's just a lot of unproven things that we don't know about. How is Grady Dick going to translate to college? Same with MJ Rice. Uh, Zach Clemens, I think he's a great three-point shooter, especially for a big man, but he shot just 27%. It was such small sample size last year. Um how do Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller improve on their three-point shooting? What does Dewan Harris look like from three? Joe Yesifu struggled from three. We talked to him earlier today, and that seems like the thing he's mainly been focusing on in the offseason. Like, all those are real questions. Um, so I, I think that brings us into what we do with these deep dives. We look at the realistic floor. We look at the realistic ceiling. I, I think the floor for me is that the shooting just is what it is. He's It's like a 30% three-point shooter. But he's still an extra ball handler. He can drive. He's good in transition. He can grab and go off the glass. Versatile defender. He's one of the best defenders on the team, in the conference, in the country. And then you have, like, Grady Dick and MJ Rice look really good. And so there's only a a set amount of wing minutes that can go around. And so that cuts into maybe your playing time a little bit because you're not shooting it as well as you might have hoped. Um, So, I I don't know. I guess the floor is, like, still a 25-minute-per-game guy. Like, it's obviously still going to be a high ceiling because you play defense for a coach that values, like, he has to have that trust of you playing defense on that end of the floor, and I have no question that'll come to fruition for Kevin McCuller. And, yes, like, you can point to other first-year players or first-year transfers that, like, Remy Martin, we thought we were really high on coming into the year and that he was going to play this huge role and play 30, 35 minutes a game. By the end of the year, he did play a huge role. But even then, by the end of the year, it was 25 minutes a game. That wasn't always the case. And, that, and sometimes it, it just takes those guys a little bit longer. That and he came off the bench. Right, right. that in mind. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you, you think about, like, some of the, the young freshmen, whether it was a Kelly Oubre who came in and, and wasn't really starting early on and kind of grew into that role. Like, for some of those guys, it, it doesn't happen until it eventually ju- does. But with... Kevin McCuller, because of the defense, that trust level, like I have a hard time believing um, a guy who impacts things that much defensively won't have a huge role at least right away. Uh, So from that standpoint, even the realistic floor is like 25 minutes a game. But the one thing you touched on was if he can stay healthy because um, injuries have been a bit of a concern for him in the past. It hasn't been like season-ending injury, season-ending injury, but he's missed games here and there. He has uh, been nicked up here and there. He had a, a leg injury in high school, and I don't know if that went into him being ranked because you're talking about a six six athletic wing who plays that great of defense it's, and, and can handle the ball. It's it's hard to imagine that that guy was ranked 197th in the recruiting right. rankings, and you read about him having a hurt leg in high school. It's hard not to think, okay, maybe he had an injury and, and that lasted a little and he wasn't able to get recruited and, and scouted and uh, I guess kind of given a proper review at the right level. Um, and then he only played 20 games in his sophomore season. 
last year he had those ankle injuries that we mentioned. Missed some games and, and played through it in some other games. So, you know, injuries have been a story in his past. And, like, you know, sometimes you can just get through it for a full season and it's fine. Um, I think back to a couple guys that we would see get nicked up a lot over the course of their careers, like Marcus Garrett got nicked up a lot over the course of his KU career, and he just kind of keep playing through it. I don't really remember many games that Marcus Garrett just didn't play in because he was injured, but there were times when it was like, oh, is Marcus Garrett going to miss this game or, or what's going on there? Um, are you injured? How hurt are you? And, and I don't know. Again, like it, it didn't cut off his, his availability, but it certainly probably uh, – you know, limited his amount of play or athleticism or explosiveness. Yudoka Azubuke is another one that comes to mind. He ended up getting through it his senior year, and that's all that matters. That's what you're kind of looking for here with Kevin McCuller. But that is good to bring up because that could impact, you know, how well you're playing. It could impact how many games are you going to play, and that's not something you can predict. That's not something you can go into the season and say, I expect this guy to play this many minutes because he's going to be injured for this many games. You you just can't do that. But that is part of the realistic floor here. The injury history is a concern. Outside of that, like I said, I, I think the floor is still playing a high amount of minutes, 25 minutes per game, and that is only based on the fact if the shooting doesn't come around and MJ Rice and Grady Dick are playing really well that you want to get them a bunch of minutes on the wing, he's still going to play a sizable role. Do you agree? Do you you know, would you do anything differently with, with where his floor would be? No, I 100% agree. And I just I just know that, you know, you touched on the injuries and KU fans are just going to really hope that he stays healthy throughout the entire year because they ha that KU in the past has been hurt by injuries. You touched on Marcus Garrett, Yudoka Azubuki. That's just to name a couple through the past few set of years now. I would say, yeah, I would say about 25 minutes a game would be his, his floor, maybe about 20 to 25 and a guy that would work, that would be a sixth man uh, um, would probably be his floor. You know, it kind of just depends on what his focus will be to start off the year, how he starts off the season in the Champions Classic, going into non-con play. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, what his what his floor is, and um, I think I think the shooting just is is just going to need work. Yeah. So you know, it's just going to depend on what the uh, focuses are in summer workouts, moving up to late night, and then the first practices as well. Yeah, I think the flip side with with the ceiling um, is that the shot does come around. And when I say it comes around, I don't necessarily mean in terms of, like, all of a sudden he's going to be Christian Brown efficient or that he's going to shoot 40% from three. I think for him, it's like, can you shoot 34 35% from three? Um, and, it you know, if he shoots 33%, it's not like that big of a difference because if you're taking three threes a game over the course of 35 games, it's like 100 threes in a, in a season. You know, the difference between 33% and 35% is two made threes over 35 games. So it's not that big of a difference, but the difference between 35% and 30%, like there is a, a sizable enough dis, uh, distance there between the two that, that does make it matter because he is, he is talented, he's athletic, he's versatile enough to legitimately be the best perimeter defender in the entire country. Like that, that's not hyperbole. And if the shot comes around, we know he's a great defender. We know he can handle the ball. We know he has good vision as a passer. He can grab and go on the glass. He can be a force in transition. Then if the shot does come around, that is an absolutely complete player. Like, there's nothing missing there. Um, and honestly, if he shoots it well and gives you 13 points per game and a solid allotment of rebounds, assists, steals, he's all conference defense, maybe Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, the total package is there to be a top 10 player, maybe a top 5 player 
in the Big 12. Like that That's what we're talking about here if the shooting does come around and the offense does hit for Kevin McCuller this next season. And I, I really do think if the shot comes around at a high level, like even higher than what I was saying, if it's 37 38%, there, there's like no reason he couldn't have a type of season that does turn him in to a first-round pick in the NBA. NBA teams all over are looking for 3 and D wings. They're looking for athletic guys who can handle the basketball, who are switchable, and can make threes from the outside. That like it there there is a real chance that KU ends up with more draft picks this next NBA draft than they have this year. And I, I get it. That's not what yeah. determines success in college basketball. Um, but like Grady Dick could be a first round pick. Kevin McCuller, like I said, that hits could be a first round pick. Jalen Wilson could be a draft pick. MJ Wright, like you keep going down the list that you could find ways that this team has so much talent to it if certain things hit. And that's just one of them. And, and I think certainly from like KU's perspective. Uh, the realistic stealing involved here means that if he is shooting well, given that everything else he does well, I think he's given you 30 or more minutes per game. He's top three on your team in scoring. He's your best defender on a team that overall should be really good defensively, and he racks up some accolades come the end of the season. Yeah, no doubt. I honestly think out of the recent one-year transfers that we had, or at least one year, uh, you know, when Jalen Coleman lands, Isaiah Moss, you can also add in Dedrick Lawson, who's only there for a year. I think McCuller's going to be the guy that has the closest lens on him from what we saw the past few years. Because, yeah, Isaiah and Jalen, like, we knew that they could be good, but ultimately we realized that they're they're coming off the bench and they can produce their role, you know, should they need it. And they, they deliver time and again, but McCuller's going to be the guy to really look for this year and early projections, put him as a starter, and I can't say I blame everybody. He's going to have a close lens on him and – Especially, we all know every all the spat that he's getting from Tech fans. We all know everything that's going on. There's a lot of hatred towards him. Going to uh, Lubbock's going to be really tough for him, but I think he's ready for that role. I really think he is. Well, uh, Bart Torvik, who uh, does really good projection work, it's kind of the the other like Ken Palm. They they have like different projection systems, but um, it comes up with some good stuff. Uh, you can like play around with the roster cast, which I always love, but it always has uh, like projections of players, what they're going to average and stuff. It has them averaging nine and a half points, about four and a half rebounds, a little over two assists per game. And honestly, like if, if you gave me what's the over under on all of those, I think I'm taking the over on all three. Like, like I'm expecting more than nine and a half points. I'm kind of expecting double digits, four and a half rebounds. You know, I, I don't think it'll be up to the six and a half. Basically he was averaging his sophomore year, but I think based on what KU needs him to do, like it'll be closer to five, the assists, that one will probably be the closest, probably around two and a half, because you do have Dwan Harris and Bobby Pettiford and Joe Yesifu and these other guards. But um, I am taking the over on all three. And and with the defense, I, I, I'm just expecting a great season from him. But the difference between him being a first-round pick, possibly the difference between KU being an elite of the elite team, the difference in him being all Big 12 first team or you know maybe second team even, I, I think it just comes down to the shot. As much as I I agree with you, I think I would take the over. But at the same time, if you're getting production from him, and you're also winning ball games with Dewan helping out, Jalen helping out, Grady, Yesifu, Clements, all those guys, you take it. That's just that that's the thing. Like if he becomes the third best scorer on the team, a lot of people have him as the second best scorer just behind Jalen. If he becomes the third best scorer, I I still take it. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if, if they go 38, no, you're not going to care. And and right, it's it's just you know. This is the the Kevin McCuller deep dive. Um, all right, he's uh, Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate joins us in about 12 minutes. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. 
Did you know that on our website, KLWN.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card too. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Eric Johnson with Lane Gillespie here in the KLWN studio, joined by Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Um, Matt, we were doing our Kevin McCuller deep dive earlier on today's show. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, th- I think we've seen in the past like newcomers or transfers, like the ones that immediately come to mind, Kelly Oubre, or if you think of those like freshman bigs with Cliff Alexander and um, Sheck Diallo, even in the case of Joel Embiid, who maybe started as, as a backup and worked his way up. Heck, just this last year, Remy Martin, certainly. Guys that are new to the program, even if they were experienced in the case of a, a guy like Remy Martin, maybe not earn Bill Self's trust right off the bat, and it takes some time to do so, and it takes some time before you get fully immersed into the rotation and, and find those big minutes. But it's funny, with, with Kevin McCuller, even though he is coming in and, and technically a newcomer for KU, like I just I, I find it very difficult to see that happening where like I feel like the floor is very high on what Kevin McCuller will be and, and what his role will be for this team just because of the defensive prowess and how much that will matter to Bill Self and how I feel like Bill Self will be able to trust him, um, which is obviously the big key to, to allowing those guys to play. So uh, what do you kind of view for Kevin McCuller, his role and, and his expectations that you're looking for headed into this season? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're right on the money there. And I think that one of the big reasons for that, too, is, is the, the makeup of the team he's coming into, right? Like, last year you had a bunch of veterans and a bunch of older guys and, and some guys you kind of knew were already established. And, and while you have a couple of those this year, you know, one of them's Dewan Harris, who's as quiet as a church mouse. One of them's Jalen Wilson, who's definitely got a chance to be kind of the, the man, right? But you just don't have quite as many of them. So while it did take Remy some time, A, because he had to learn a new way to play and commit to that, but B, because he was stepping into a role of, of being a, a, an older, new guy on a team full of old guys, right? And, uh, you know, that, that took time. But, but McCuller has a situation here where he's going to look around and he's going to be like, well, Zach Clemens, K.J. Adams, Bobby Pettiford, Joe Yusefu, nice players. Yeah, these guys can help us, but I'm, I'm more experienced than all those guys combined, you know. And so I, I can comfortably step into this situation and say, you know, I belong in this role, or I can offer this and, and feel good about that. And and uh, you know, whether that makes the transition easier or or quicker, um, uh, we'll find out. I think it will, though, and, and I think that's a big part of the reason why. So, um, but you're right. I mean, the the type of player he is. I mean, this dude. You know, outside of the Frank Mason, Sharon Collins, you know, uh, lead guard type of player that, that Bill Self would build in a laboratory, um, outside of those guys that are that are just completely obvious, I mean, this this guy is, is pretty darn close to 
you know, one of the Bill Self templates that he would design players with if he was in a laboratory and had his white coat on because he's athletic, he's versatile, he can handle it, he has great vision and feel and IQ. Um, he's he's a great teammate. Um, he can score a little bit, but he's obviously prefers to be a legitimate big time defender. And I mean, you know, all those things that Bill Self loves about some of his favorite players. Um, this guy has, and, and, you know, I was talking to his high school coach a couple weeks ago, uh, McCullers that is, and some of the comparisons, and I wrote this, but some of the comparisons he was throwing out, you know, and he even mentioned Marcus Garrett when we were talking and, you know, it, this, this guy's not far removed from a Marcus Garrett type of player. Um, Again, this is we're talking about one of the national defensive players of the year in Garrett, um, and I think Garrett was much better as a as an attacking type of score. But um, McCuller certainly a better shooter, um, smoother maybe with the ball, and and uh, and not very far behind if at all in terms of the way he defends and likes to defend. So um, there's there's no reason to think he won't have a major impact. Maybe they'll take a month maybe six weeks. I don't know, but I, if it takes any longer than that, I'd be surprised. You got to talk to uh, another wing on this KU team, Grady Dick earlier today out in uh, Topeka. Seems like a a pretty fun loving kid. Uh, What did you make of, of getting, I don't know if that was your first time getting to talk to him or not, but uh, um, was it, was it kind of a, a, I guess, tell into the mind there that, like, I, I don't know. I don't want to play sports psychologist here, but just in terms of you have this young freshman who's coming in, you have all these expectations after winning a title and you're coming in and you're already expected to be one of the big dogs on the team as a young freshman. I would just imagine if you have that kind of fun loving personality, it's going to be easier to deal with those expectations. Yeah, that's that's very well put. I think I think he's he's wired that way, and I think it's going to suit him well. I think that he's excited about the idea that that he is expected to have a big role. Um, he's excited about the idea that he's stepping into a, a a role like that as a team that's defending a national championship. He said both of those things will be motivation for him to keep working and work harder, and that's how he's wired. And you don't get to to where he's at without that kind of mentality. I mean, this is the Gatorade National Player of the Year, right? This is a top 25-star recruit. This is this is a guy who's already on the 2023 mock draft in the lottery, you know, first round. So you don't become that dude without thinking in terms of, oh, there's a challenge? Okay, cool, that motivates me. Oh, th- there's an obstacle? Okay, I'm just going to work harder to get over it. You know, like, that's him. And, and and he's not alone in that way. There's a lot of guys that are wired that way. But, but um, you know, not every KU freshman is by any means. And so he's ready for, I think, anything and everything that's going to be thrown at him, including um, how difficult this coaching staff's going to be on him. I mean, they're, they're going to push him. Uh, he mentioned today that, that – that Coach Self and him had had a conversation before some of these pro decisions were made that was basically like, look, you know, we don't know who's staying, we don't know who's going, but the bottom line, man, if one or two of these guys leave, you're probably going to be expedited a little bit. We're going to need you to be ready a little sooner. And, and Christian Brown's obviously leaving, and there, there's there's an easy path for him to to have a bigger role right away. Um, there's an easy path or an easy thing to see, like 
instead of walking over to the drinking fountain and taking a sip, you know, you're, you're, you're opening up the fire hose and trying to drink from that. And, uh, I think that that's, that's something that Grady looks forward to. He's like, bring it all to me. I want to, I want to take on any and all challenges and I'll do my best and I'll work hard and I won't be perfect and I'll fail at something, but, but I'm going to get better every day. And so, yeah, he's ready to go. And, uh, you know, the coolest thing about camp today was, um, he was over obviously at Washburn's camp and, and Brett Ballard does such an amazing job um, over there with that camp, and he did a great job of running Bill Self's camps for a number of years way back. And um, it, you know, it's just a fun, fun time over there. But um, you know, he uh, he he mentioned, <coughs> excuse me, that Grady was talking about like enjoying and being around these kids. And you know, as much as he's a grown man and he's a beast and he's tall and he's long and he's big and physical and all these things you still look at him and you realize he is just a freshman and, and it wasn't that long ago that he was in those shoes, you know, and <laughs> being one of these little punk campers that was running around. And I, I remember that when I uh, wrote the story about him committing to KU, his dad had sent me a photo of him uh, with his arm around Wayne Selden after a game. And this was like, you know, 11 year old Grady or whatever. And he's just so young and just such a punk, you know, and, and <laughs> now here he is, he's in Wayne Selden's shoes as a KU player. And, He's watching all these other young punks that one one day want to follow in his footsteps. So that was cool to see today too, because he really, you know, he really enjoyed the campers and he was having fun with them and 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 all of that. And most of these guys that go over there do that and and do actually show up and and enjoy it and have fun with it. So um, you know, he, he it's important to remember that he is just a freshman, but it's also important to hold him to the standard that yeah, you're a you're a big time player and the expectations are going to be that you can you can handle that and you can deliver. We're talking with Matt Tate, the Lawrence Journal World. I have a uh, couple either ors for you here. The first one: What are the or I, I guess uh, who plays more minutes per game, KJ Adams or Bobby Pettiford? Wow, man! I want the second name to be a lot easier than that. Um, <laughs> uh, holy cow! I'm gonna say KJ Adams. I'm going to say so reluctantly, though. I think I think uh, you said more minutes, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I think Bobby Pettiford got a chance to be big time. I just think they have so much in their in their backcourt. I think they have a, a, an option to play a bunch of different wings. I think they have when you look at you know uh, Dewan and Yosefu too um, that could play minutes and, and maybe big minutes. Um, I, I think KJ is the kind of guy that. He can play a number of spots. We saw him play the five this year, and he won't do that much this year. But if they needed to in a small lineup or something like that, he could do it. Um, and then, of course, he's a he's an easy four in today's game, and uh, and and then he's a three too. I mean, if he can get his jump shot going and 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 be around the perimeter, which is where he's most comfortable, then you know he can play a lot of minutes there too if they need him. So. Um, Boy, that's a tough one, man. That's one of the hardest. This goes back to the days of Derek asking really hard questions. But that, I, know. I should have done this off the top. Uh, I, you should have. I'd have fallen down, though. I mean, that that would have <laughs> that would have been really hard because as I sat there and reasoned it out, I you know the the more I look at it, I almost now want to switch my answer because I I, I kind of think you know well you got McCuller and MJ Rice and and uh, and obviously Grady Dick and then you've got Jalen and. There's a lot on the wing too, and so if K, if KJ's a wing, then maybe he doesn't have the pass to bigger minutes. So 
So I'm officially flipping my answer. I'm going to go to Bobby Pettiford ah. because I think he's I think he's got a chance to be a standout. I think he's got a chance to start. Um, we'll see if that happens or not, but I, I think he's in the mix, and uh, I, I think that I think that he uh, I think that he plays the game as a guard the way you know Bill Self loves his guards to play: attack, physical, intense. You know, doesn't 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 back down from anything. Um, so, I think maybe they have a little less in the backcourt than I than I realized as I was t- talking out all those wings and and uh, maybe maybe that's the answer. So, hopefully, you know, seven, eight, ten months from now, you and I are sitting there in, in the Allen Fieldhouse media room someday, and we're looking at the stats, and we, and we go, oh, look at that. Bobby Pettiford and K.J. Adams are averaging the exact same number of minutes. Who would have thought that? That's, that's at this point my hope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's, it's funny because both guys are guys that if you told me, not this upcoming season, so it would be the 23-24 season, that either of those, that like K.J. Adams is Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year and Bobby Pettiford is, is first-team All-Big 12, like that would not shock me. It's just it's a little tougher this year because, like you said, there's so many bodies that – you try to figure out who's going to get playing time. There's going to be a lot of uh, positional battles. Uh, the next one I have for you, uh, what is, is easier for you to decipher? The playing time between the four or five possible center options, if you count K.J. Adams as a center, or deciphering between the four or five different running back options if Tory Lachlan continues to be a running back as opposed to a, a receiver on the KU football team? Wow, tough one too. Um, real quick too, like listen, if if McCuller had not come to Kansas and Jalen stayed in the draft, Bobby Pettiford and KJ Adams are probably both starting, mm-hmm. right? So like, there you go. That that tells you about their roles. So um, to get to your part two, though, I think it's easier to decipher the running back situation. I, I think while I think the table set perfectly for Zach Clements to take a hold of that five spot and and uh really feel good about it and and really show something um you know there's intriguing options there too though i mean you you know you, you're gonna have to play some of those other guys and 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 zach's gonna have to be pretty close to perfect to to steal it as i am the guy and he might be i mean i know he's motivated but you know we we still got to see that first um flip that over to the football part of this and while I think the running back room is phenomenal, I still think this is Devin Neal's job, right? I mean, like, is he going to have help? Absolutely. Um, and they're going to have options and they're going to be able to feed guys. And we know that Colton Nicky likes to do that. And I forget his phrase about running backs, but it's a terrific phrase. It has something to do with the number of running backs, you know? Um, yeah. Something with so, three, something, like a tire, a yeah. spare or something else. Right? Am I off on that? Did I just make that up. No, no, it's 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 something like that. It's like it's like you know having three is is good, but having four is I don't know something like that. So anyway, we'll, maybe we'll look that up and and be kind enough to tell people what it is next. Potato, week. potato, just, something like that. Yeah. Right, rambling like idiots here, but um, but I think that you know it's very clear that he loves having multiple running backs and so i think I think there's a pair and a spare pair and a spare i think that's it there it is there it is nice job yes very well done a pair and a spare so you you've got that and then some with this group right um but i i still think that Devin neal what he did last year is i mean he's deserving of going into this thing saying this is my job and everybody else is just part of the part of the spare right like they're all helping me out and they're all helping our team out and i'll give 
time, and I don't need 40 carries a game. I mean, Devin's not wired that way either. He'll take them if you give them to him, but it's not like he's a you know prima donna or a guy who demands this, that, or the other. I just think that he showed as a freshman, I mean, a, a true, true bright spot in a in another rough year. There was a lot to like about last year, but at the end of the day, it was still a you know a rough year on the on the final tally there. So I, I think that. Anybody that shows up as a true freshman and has that kind of year has my ultimate respect, and I would think the coaches too, to where you, okay, that's our dude. That's our guy. And everything else we're just going to kind of fill in and build around that. And, and if the rest of these guys are as talented as Devin Neal, then great. When he subs out, we won't miss a beat. Or if he you know, gets hurt and misses a quarter or a game or two games or whatever, we'll have something to go to. But, you know, as far as, First possession of every game and, and maybe even the first half and getting the hot hand going and feeding the guy, that's Devin Neal. So for me, it's easier to look at it that way and um, or look at it that way with the football situation than it is with, with the, the, the big guys in basketball. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a work in progress. I think that's going to take some time to sort itself out. And uh, and, and again, I think there are options there that, that – I, they're all different. That's part of it, right? I mean, they, they're all just a little bit different. So you may want to pick from each and say, oh, I want a little bit of this this game and a little bit more of this this game. And, and whereas with football, I think it's just a bunch of talented dudes trying to do the same thing. And, and um, you know, uh, we'll see if it works. I mean, there's, there's a lot to like about that, that room. There's a lot to like about some of the offensive linemen that are that are returning and um, yeah, that, that's again probably what you're looking at with regard to uh, KU uh, sort of building its identity around on the football field. Okay, last one, and this comes from Jordan Gusky from the uh, Capital Journal. Uh, he wants to know your thoughts on popcorn, so I'm going to frame it this way: popcorn or kettle corn? Oh wow, uh, tough one. He wants to know my thoughts. Uh, Jordan Gusky was in Topeka today. My daughter actually is uh, a camper at Ballard's camp this year. And uh, so I figured if I'm going to go over there every day anyway and, and interview some of these KU guys, I might as well sign her up and, you know, she can have some fun. So she uh, she's loving it. She's having a great time. Jordan got to meet her today and say hello. And uh, he, he introduced himself as, hi, I'm your dad's favorite journalist. So that was pretty funny. Um so anybody that knows him will know that that's uh, not far from uh, him, and anybody that doesn't know him probably really hates him right now. So cool, I'm good with either. But uh, um, popcorn or kettle corn? Kettle corn's so sneaky, man. I, I love it. Like I love it. I mean, when I have it, I'm just like, this is so good. But I don't think I have it very often, and I don't think I have it very often for a reason. I think it's because it's a treat, right? Like, so if I have to pick one, like if I was going to eat popcorn every day for a year and I had to pick one or the other, I would get so tired of eating kettle corn every day. Whereas I think popcorn would just be good every day. So I'm going to go with popcorn, not because I don't like kettle corn, but because popcorn, to me, more reliable, more versatile, more consistent, more solid. Just you, you know what you're going to get with it. And, and, you know, unless you burn it or something, it's, it's very rarely a disappointment. Yeah, I think that's the right answer there. He is Matt Tate. Thank you. you. Check out all the popcorn breakdowns, KU football, KU basketball, (laughs) whatever with Matt Tate. Uh, Matt, I appreciate you hopping on as always, man. 
I like that new blog, whatever, with Matt Tate. <laughs> I think it could be a whole new segment, whether it's your show or on our site. I think I think you just inadvertently stumbled onto something. So, um, again, if you see it somewhere, don't sue me. But if you want to use it, I'll. Uh, it's, it's a race now. Whichever one of us can actually pull together first, do it. Well, use it yourself. Uh, that's the beauty of this show. We come up with uh, stupid things, and sometimes they land. And that time, maybe it did. <laughs> Matt, I appreciate the time, as always. Love it. Thanks, Derek. Have a good week, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, that's Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Shock Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. We are going to get into some KU basketball audio. We got to hear from Joe Yesvu and Zach Clements earlier today. Got some more KU basketball, some KU football talk coming up in the five o'clock hour. Uh, but right now, it is National VCR Day. I guess it's been National VCR Day all day long. Um, and VCRs are obviously. You know, they're not extinct. Like, people still have them. They're still around. They're not being made anymore, though. No, exactly. They're not in circulation on the, the assembly line and everything. Um, and, and people don't really have high demand. And it's not even one of those things either where it's like, you know, it's it's cool to have a VCR. Like, you'll see people who have, um, like, record players with, like, old vinyl and stuff because it's, like, classy and it, it's classic and it's cool. That's not the case with VCRs. It's just like, no, why would I not just, you know, use a DVD player, uh, you know, use my, my gaming console or, or I'll watch it digitally, whatever it is. Um, so to celebrate, we are going to give you the top 10 electronic devices that are now seldom used. And, and let me just say this. I, I'm going to add this, like, precursor. And this is going to be fun because Lane, right. is, Lane is a new KU grad. So <laughs> I'm um, young. I'm young. Exactly. He might, I don't even I was, know if he'll know everything on this list. I was born just a couple of months before the turn of the millennia. Yeah. I am oh, that that's, young. That's weird to think about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, you know, there's going to be some things on this list that I, I don't know if anybody listening is going to be like, oh, I use that. What are you talking about? Like, okay, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, do what you need to do. I'm not basing this list off a uh, list off of, well, you know, I, I am like one of the few people that still uses it. I get it. More power to you if you do. <laughs> but just know you're in the minority. Here. <laughs> okay. Into the top 10. Number 10. Flip phones. I think this one, um, I don't have it ranked higher because this would be the one that still circulates the most on this list. There are, I, I, I know multiple people with flip phones. Like, my grandpa has a flip phone. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, 
I guess I'll tip the cap to the idea that a good chunk of people do still use this one as opposed to just being like my 1% thing, which I was basically just saying there. But, you know, overall, there are over 100 million iPhone users alone. Um, people just have smartphones now. They're easier to get your hands on. I remember when smartphones first came out, it was like, oh, how much money did you spend on that? Like, they're still expensive and everything, but just everyone has one. They're, they, they have so much easier access to getting them. Um, so, yeah, flip phones, number 10. Whenever I think of the flip phone, I think of the Motorola Razor. Yes. That was just a classic <laughs> flip phone. Did you ever have a flip phone? I did. Uh, okay. The first couple of phones that I had in my life were flip, flo uh, flip phones. Now, one of them, one of the early ones were the ones that you uh, just shifted up to the side and it, uh, and you could see a keyboard mm -hmm. that you could text with, but then you just flip it back to normal and you have the normal phone with the dial and everything and it was all buttons, you know? Remember when buttons were a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, I know. It was such a pain to text people. You had to click the button on right. the, the number. You had to click it four times just to get to like the letter D or something like my that. My very first phone had it on caps lock all the time. I could not turn it off. Every time that I was texting somebody, and I would get a lot of yeah, I would get a lot of flack from my parents. Like, stop yelling me, yeah. yelling at me. I was like, I have to do twenty different things just to put it in lowercase. <laughs> well, that is uh, no longer a thing we have to worry about. Flip phones, basically, no more. I mean, if you're if you're sticking with a flip phone, it's because you didn't want to evolve. Number nine, pagers and beepers. Now, this one's even further okay. back. Like, yeah. There is no purpose to having a pager or a beeper anymore. If you have a flip phone, like maybe you just didn't want to evolve to the new way of phones, or maybe you're just comfortable with it, or maybe you just didn't want to spend a bunch of money on a phone, and you just wanted a cheap phone that got it done, and, and you don't really text, you just call people, and that's okay. The pagers and beepers, it's it's pointless, because the whole point of a pager and beeper is to alert you that, hey, like I need to contact you, call this number. You can just text now. Right. There's, there's no purpose to a pager and beeper. Well, nowadays, they're just used for, uh, like, in the medical field saying, hey, come here yeah. or something like that. That's it, though. Because I have family members who are in the medical field, and they still use pagers, but that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I you know, I, I've watched old movies where there are pagers. Hey, contact this number. The number will be written down. Call me. I'm just thinking, yeah, you just text now. That and if somebody's trying to call you, it's going to pull up on your phone right. saying who's calling you. That's the beauty. Phones are now phones and pagers, essentially. Number eight. At the end of the top eight. Floppy disks. Did you ever? Do you know nope. what a floppy disk? I do is? know what a floppy disk yeah. is. I never used one. I uh, I'm trying to think if I ever used one because they were kind of on the way out when I was growing up, but like they were still there. I think I might have used one for like a, a class presentation. I might okay. have done in like first or second. No, it feels like too young to be using a floppy disk. I don't know. I, I could have sworn I used one at a young age, but not very often. They're they're essentially just. It's like a mix of like a CD and a USB port. Right. So like now we just have USBs, which are so easy. It's so portable. It's so easy to just put a bunch of stuff on there. You go in, plug it into the computer. Back in the day, computers just had floppy disk ports where you'd plug in the floppy disk. And it was essentially the use of that, but it, it was the size of a big CD and it was square. Question. Mm -hmm. Why were they called floppy disks? That is a great question. Because they're not floppy. No, they are not. They're not disks either. <laughs> right. I mean, they're square. I guess, can, it, can a disk be square? When I think of a disk, I think of the circular CD. I don't know if, if that's what all disks are, but when I think of a disk, that's the case. Yeah, I have no idea why they're called floppy disks. They could be called, like, hard squares or something <laughs> like that, and that would do just fine. Number seven. Those don't get used, like, anymore at all, though. No. Uh, number seven, portable DVD players. Mm-hmm. Now, this one is one that you will see every so often yep. um, in Surface because it's like if you have it, I guess you can use it. 
But again, like with, with the new age digital technology, you can go on your phone. So many people have iPads or tablets or laptops. You can like download Netflix shows to your account. You can just stream stuff onto your phone right. and everything. Like uh, the biggest spot where you would use a portable DVD player would probably be like on a plane, but it's like most airlines now just have like an app you hook into and you can watch TV shows, you can watch movies. Portable DVD players are still something that people probably have, but it's probably one of those things that's just sitting somewhere in, the, in their house and they're like, you know, I'm, I don't really know if I'm going to use it very often and I'm not going to go out and buy a new one. Yeah, the only reason that we use them were for trips, mainly just car trips. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just play, place it down in a car, the driver would have just at least listened to it and just keep it on going. Now when I take road trips with my girlfriend to pass the time, download a movie on my phone, it'll play on the Bluetooth in my car. Yeah. By the way, Bluetooth. <laughs> Probably it's not out, it's not outdated, but we're in we're in the age of Bluetooth now. We weren't, uh, you know, when uh, floppy disks and flip phones were a thing. All right, in the top six. six, separately bought GPS navigation systems. Um, man, I I remember way back when the time yeah. was I would have to like, and this was when I just started driving. You'd have to like print out like a map quest or something. Yep. If, if you didn't know where you're. <laughs> I going. remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or you just straight up have a map. Now, it is so easy. Everything has, you know, on your phone. Most cars that you buy that have been made in the last, whatever, five-plus years um, just have, like, the GPS system kind of center console thing in the middle that have the access. In the past, if you wanted that fancy way of doing it, you didn't want to have to print out a map quest or you didn't want to have to just read maps, you had to buy a, like, portable GPS system. Like, they had the, I think Garmin was yeah. the company that made those. That was, um, a, that was a popular one, yeah. Yeah, I remember, so... My, my mom actually, like, brought this up to me the other day, and I kind of forgot and then remembered the story. We went to, to Italy when I was younger, and, and you know, we, we wanted to, you know, you don't really know where you're going in a foreign country, so you buy one of these things, and you're like, okay, this is going to be able to tell us where to go. But the thing was so uncalibrated with where we were. Oh, I mean, gosh. we're just, like, going in, like, random, you know, neighborhoods of Italy just, like, up a cliff, and it's like, oh, this is the wrong area. Like, how are we going to get here? Um, so it didn't always work great, but... That was what you just dealt with at the time. You couldn't just pull it up on your phone and, you know, go to Google Maps and, and figure out where you wanted to go. The separately bought GPS navigation system was a key thing that certainly is not being used anymore. Well, it, it, it actually kind of still is, but only by truck drivers. You go to a truck stop and you'll see, adver like, I've been to Love's before, and you'll see advertisements of a Garmin GPS touchscreen thing, but it's like 20 inches wide or something like that. And you still put it on your windshield and it has, you know, a lot of tips on it saying like there's an accident ahead. But I mean, nowadays you just use your phone. If you're just a normal drive, if you're not a truck driver and you just, it's easier now. Number <laughs> five. five, CD players. Um, mm. Most cars still do have CD players. Actually, I don't know if that's true. I know a lot of cars still do have CD players. I was about to say mine does, but it's a 2011. Yeah, I'm a 2012. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't think my wife's does, and hers is like a couple years old. Uh, so I, I guess it just depends on the car. But like, I, I'm not really talking about the car version. I'm talking about like portable CD CD players. Right. That's where you're going to get most of them in the car. People don't really walk around with portable CD players anymore. I, I had one as a child. Like, that was I how I listened to music. You, you have to have certain CDs, certain albums. Or maybe you just you did the thing where you you know, you know downloaded the iTunes music and you ripped the CD off it and then you were able to listen to it on the CD player. Like, that was a thing. And 
you know, what I mentioned earlier, people still have or buy record players. They still buy vinyl because it is kind of that classy way. And it just, it, it has the it kind of cool sounds to it. Um, CD players, it's not really the case. Outside of cars, if you're just talking portable CD players, you don't see those at all anymore. They're clunky. They don't fit in your pocket. But, you know, it was nice at the time. It was is what you had to deal with. And it was um, nice to just have portable music, I guess. Oh, yeah. Number, Number four. four, film cameras. Um, now everything's digital. You know, mo- a lot of people don't even have cameras anymore. To be right. I remember, you know, parents having like the, the even the digital camera, and and even those are uh, less of a thing now because, like, phone cameras are just so good now. Now the big exception to this one is if you're really into photography, you're going to get like the expensive camera. And, and those are things that that's like another level of, of situation here. But I'm talking like those cheap cameras that you would get, whether it's um, the Polaroid cameras, um, which honestly, no, not even the Polaroids, because the Polaroids kind of uh, have the same way as the uh, the vinyl, where it's like they have this vintage to them. And the Polaroid one is kind of cool. You get the, the printout right there when you get to make the picture. But with everything being digital, like you don't really see things with film cameras anymore. You really don't see things with the digital mini cameras anymore either. That's just kind of a thing of the past. And honestly, as we're going through this, like most of these things that have now gone, not quite extinct, but just aren't used nearly as much. It's it's the phone's fault. The iPhone right. and, and the smartphone is just taking away all these things. Right. If you still if you still use a disposable camera, more power to you. If you still buy those every time you go on a trip, yeah. have to swipe that thing just to get it to the next film. You get a blister on your finger because it's spiky. So yeah, more power to you. <laughs> Number three. Third on the list, the original Apple iPod. Um, now, there's multiple levels of this, right? There's the, uh, I don't remember all the different model names, but there was like the tiny one where it was just a little square and you could just like, there's like play button. There was it. like the iPod Touch, iPod Nano, something like that. Yeah, iPod Nano, I think that's the one I'm thinking of. Um, there was the, you know, like you said, the iPod Touch, which... Um, it was basically like an iPhone, but without like the calling yes. features, unless you were on Wi-Fi or something. There was the long, skinny, rectangular one where to move up and down. Yeah. While that was music. You just had to like go in a circle on the the yep. thumbstick. And then there was the the big guy. The uh, you know, it, I don't know. It looked kind of like the the iPhone. It was just like thicker and you know it, a little bit smaller. But that thing held so much music on it. I still every so often will see somebody's like, yeah, I still have one of these things. This is how I listen to all my music. It holds all my music for me. Uh, That stuff's great. But those things no longer get sold because, again, dating back to the iPhone, everything is just in your phone now. Right. We're in the streaming age, you know, using Spotify, Apple Music, and you can pay. Well, nowadays, you know, you have to suffer through the uh, ads unless you want to pay for it. I wonder what the next next evolution here is going to be for listening to music. Because, like I said, all those things, like, came in a, a pretty quick succession. Like, you had records for a while. And then things went quickly from CD players to, um, I I guess you had like Walkmans in there somewhere before then too, um, and cassette tape players as well. But like, think about all those evolutions, Walkmans, cassette tape players, CD players, uh, the the iPods um, going from those like, and now where we are with just having it on your phone and stuff, like, is there going to be another evolution? Are we just going to have these like, things that just you'll just hear music playing out of the sky well that where i was thinking like what you know you just have like a medical implant in your ear maybe and it's just like a chip (laughs) and like at any point in time you can be like i'm turning on my music and it's like a button you have 
connected you to your leg. You just press the temple of your head. Yeah, there you go. You <laughs> press the temple of your head. If you want to turn it down, you like touch your, your chin or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, like that. that's, I guess, the next evolution of uh, music. Into the top two. Number two. I, I'm just mentioning it there. Cassette tapes and cassette players. Mm-hmm. Um, those are, are long gone. I had a toy as like a very young kid, which was like a fake cassette tape player. But it didn't, I don't think, have any like actual cassette tapes in it. Maybe that's how I got to where I am today. I didn't even notice it. That was my parents conditioning hmm. me without me knowing it to do this so that I could make very little money on the radio. Um, <laughs> but cassette tape players are much a thing of the past, but, you know, uh, maybe they'll be back now in vintage, like Stranger Things is out, and um, I don't know if you watch Stranger Things, but, you know, they're, they're listening to music on cassette right. tape players. It, you know, everything comes back again. It'll come back, maybe. Number one. Number one, though. VCR players. It's VCR player day, right? Um, Had to be VCR Mm -hmm. players. There are, like, even, it's funny because DVD players and Blu-rays, like, those have, like, I I don't really see those at the store anymore. They're they're certainly not, like, putting signage in front to be like, we're selling these. Like, if you go to Walmart or something, like, you can find one. Um, But for the most part, People aren't really even buying DVD players anymore just because the digital stuff and, like, if you have a game console, you can play it that way. Now, for the most part, a lot of people probably already have DVD players to begin with. Like, I have one, but it's it's kind of old and stuff, and it, it does the job and everything. But I'm not, like, going out of my way to get a new one or to get a better one that um, is going to be able to deal with 4K or something like that. It's just like, nah, I'll just deal with what we got there. But while those are in a system with DVD players of... Yeah, they're they're slowly falling off to begin with. If that's the case for DVD players, VCR players are basically extinct. Yep. The only place that I can imagine has VCR players anymore are like schools. It's like, hey, we have this old VCR if player. They, if even that. Yeah. We well, we don't even have money to like get the DVD player. Let's wheel in the the old like everybody remembers. Maybe not everybody, but at least somebody my age. I do. Older, yeah. Okay. Uh, they wheel in the the TV on wheels that was like the you know thirty inch thick TV, and you have the the. VCR player attached, yeah. and then we're going to watch some informational movie on it. You knew you were going to have a good day, you know, yeah. not having to work on classwork. You'd just be watching a video. Oh, yeah. No, those are my favorite. I would always, like, do homework in other classes when we do that, and that would uh, work ahead in school. That's okay. Uh, VCR players, rest in peace. He's Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Five o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson on FM 1017. And 1320 KLWN, once again, going to be out at Jefferson's West tomorrow. Uh, the Rock Truck Round Ball Classic festivities really start to kick off tomorrow. Um, I know it's it's the week of it, but really tomorrow's when when things get going. We have uh, Jefferson's all day, both in Lawrence on downtown and on Wakaroos on the west side of town. They're going to be doing 50% of proceeds. You just go there, you eat. It's Wing Wednesday, so you know why would you not go out to Jefferson's? And if you tell them you're there for the Rock Shark Round Ball Classic, 50% of 
of the proceeds are going to go to the round ball classic. So make sure you do that. Go get, you know, even if it's just a snack there, even if it's a beer after work, um, 50% of the proceeds go into a really good cause. And then if you can make it during our show from three to six, then you can come by. We're going to have some extra RCST trivia t-shirts to give away. So if you didn't get your hands on one, because you lost in the first round or, or whatever, or you just want one just because, I mean, they're cool. They're free shirts. We have some other stuff we're going to be giving away too. Um, come by. I'm going to be out at Jefferson's West doing our show from 3 to 6 o'clock tomorrow. Then on Thursday, we're going to be having an extended edition of Rock Shock Sports Talk. We'll be going from 3 to 7 o'clock. Um, and then we have the game in the Rock Shock Round Ball Classic at 7 o'clock with that one continuing on through the night and uh, – There'll be a lot of cool events that go on during that. Friday is the Rock Chuck Round Ball Classic dinner at 6 o'clock. I don't know if they still have tickets available. You can check online at rockchuckroundballclassic.com. Same goes for the bowling event that occurs Saturday, but both of those are awesome events. You get to hear from players. You get to like sit at their table or be a part of their bowling group, depending which one you go to. Hear stories, get autographs, get pictures, just get to know these guys on a personal level. You know, Brian says this all the time. You're not going to get like a better face-to-face kind of value opportunity with a lot of these guys, a lot of these players then um, at that event. So I uh, highly recommend checking that out and going in. And the most important thing here, as much fun as this is for a lot of people and, and getting autographs and seeing these former players and getting entertained and all this stuff, like this this is all about this cause, which is going to an absolutely wonderful cause. It's these families, there's five different families whose kids have undergone these, these horrible um I guess diseases and, and things and cancer and so forth that they're having to deal with at such a young age that nobody at, at any age, let alone at that age, should have to deal with. And the, these families are trying to afford all these heinous medical bills. And, and that's what this is going to. So please, wh- whether it's, you know, you might be busy, you might not be able to attend everything, even if you can just do one thing, even if you just want to make a donation, it all goes to a great cause. And you can check that out for more at rockshuckroundballclassic.com. Um, switching gears, here is a quote that Bill Self gave to C.J. Moore of The Athletic. Wrote a really good piece in The Athletic. Highly recommend subscribing to that. C.J. always does great work. There's no question we're going to play three. This is in regards to the freshmen. There's four freshmen coming in. There's no question we're going to play three. MJ and Grady are going to play. And then one of the two bigs is positively going to play. Sounds like a very definitive statement. Now, it's it's not... I mean, we're, we're in, what, June? Um, so if Bill Self says something, even if he says it, positively going to play, you know, sometimes things happen that change things up or that uh, a player maybe progresses to a point he might not have thought about, and then that doesn't end up being the case. But um, the MJ Rice and Grady Dick thing is expected. You expect them to come in, McDonald's All-American wings, into spots that you lost a lot of guys and, and play hefty minutes. That's not a surprise for him to say that. The center one is interesting. We've talked about you have four, maybe five options at the center position. Just kind of depends on what the course of K.J. Adams is going to be. Is he going to be a wing? Is he going to be a five-man? Is he going to be a little bit of both? If K.J. is playing or or in the running to play any minutes at the five specifically, then you have five options there. K.J. Adams, the two freshmen, Zuby Edgefer and Ernest Uday, and then you have the uh, two returners, Kim Martin, who redshirted, and Zach Clements, who kind of played sparingly last year. That's five guys for an allotment of 40 minutes to divvy out between them. Because unless you're playing two centers next to each other, you only have 40 minutes to give out to one or or to, you know, your allotment of that one position at the center spot. Now, I've I've been 
kind of under the assumption, like I was saying earlier, I, Zach Clements is is my favorite to start at the the center position right now. I feel like that would be the betting favorite. Um, even then, though, I don't really view one guy here taking like the lion's share. Like I don't think one guy is going to play 28, 30 minutes, something like that. I think what you're looking at, starter could give you 20, 22, maybe 25 minutes. Maybe the backup gives you the rest, or maybe the, the next guy gives you 10, and then maybe the third string gives you the remaining five to eight minutes, something like that. Um, but the point is there's not a lot of minutes when you have four or five guys at that position to just give out 40 minutes because this isn't a wing position where you can say, okay, if you don't get minutes at the two, that's fine. You can get minutes at the three and four. If you don't get minutes at the one, you can get minutes at the two and three, whatever it is. It's just that one position, which makes it more difficult. So I guess you kind of just got to kind of pick and choose because it is unfortunate. You have a lot of good players there, but somebody is going to be left behind it, and more than likely two or maybe even three guys are going to be left behind. Yeah, this is the first time in a while you got to think about that, that there's going to be kind of a division on who should start at the big man spot. Because if you don't, then you know, you're going to play small, and you know playing small in a league like the Big 12 is not going to be helpful at all, especially because you get, well, the tallest is like 6'10 on the team, and there's about two or three guys that are 6'10". Coming yeah, in, Clements so. and Uday are six ten, and in the case, I, I don't know if Clements has had a registered wingspan, um, but like Uday, for instance, he's got like a seven two wingspan, which yeah. is great. Uh, Zuby Edgefer, I think, has a seven two wingspan at like six eight six nine, which is great. Um, so you certainly have a lot of options there. Yeah, no doubt. But you know, it's going to be interesting to see because KU has had a set big man for the past five years. Yudoka Azubuki. Then David McCormick had to take the reins when Azubuki left. And it wasn't always, you know, it was shaky along the way with Dave sometimes. But, you know, for the most part. Well, in the end, it all worked out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and then before that, there's kind of a divvy. It it ended up turning into Landon Lucas being the set big guy. But there are times you could put in Hunter Mickelson from time to time. But then there was time and again throughout, say, about 2015 to 2017 where KU would play small just because either the set guy – the set big man was in foul trouble, or they're still figuring out the set big man. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. I mean, you probably have to, like, now that you bring it up, now that I think about it, it's like you have to kind of go back to, I think, that 2015-16 season to find the last time that there was, I guess, this much uncertainty about who's the starter going to be. And, and maybe it plays out that way, where where you see different guys starting, playing the bigger role at different times, and then finally maybe they settle on somebody in, in, in January or February or something like that because – to your point, like uh, 2015-16, you eventually settled on Landon Lucas. And from there, he was off and running with it. And then he he took it over in 2016-17, um, or, or I mean in 17-18, in and, and he was the guy, or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm off with the year. 16-17. No, you're, you're fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and where he was just the guy all that year. And then you come into 17-18, and you come off the year where Yudoka Azubuki played a bit in the early season, out for the year, but coming into that next year, he even logged a couple starts early that year, like either next to or over Landon Lucas, that you were like, okay, we know Yudoka is going to be the guy at, at that position, and he has all this talent in the world. And then, obviously, Doak ends up being the starter 18-19, even though he gets hurt. Um, then you're playing like Diedrich Lawson. And then, yeah, 19-20, um, you have Doak again back for his senior year, so it's obvious who the center is going to be. Even in 2021, after you lose Doak, you just know it's going to be David McCormick because David McCormick started those games that Doak was out when, you know, it was next to Diedrich Lawson. By that time, he's a veteran. Then he becomes the starter last year. Like I said, even though it's shaky at times and KJ starts a game and Mitch Lightfoot starts a couple games, like it still feels like Dave is the answer at the center spot. This is, yeah, you're probably right, the most uncertainty we've had about 
I don't really know who the starter is going to be headed into the year in, in probably seven or eight years. And the reason about, you know, with Dave, even though he was kind of shaky, is kind of just because you had to start a big man. And when it comes to the experience and the talent that, you know, all the big men have, you know, David was the guy, as shaky as it was, that had that experience. And the fact that he was six foot ten at that point, tallest player on the team in 2021, you know, you had to start him just to get that size on the team because you play small in a league like the Big 12. Good luck. That's all I can say. Just good luck with it. Um, I think that, man, if I had to pick right now, because what he's saying there is, is certainly one of the two bigs is going to play that are freshmen. So, like I said, if, if Zach Clements is your starter, I mean, you're, you're basically picking from that situation. Let's say it's the starter plays 22 minutes, second string plays 10, third string plays 8, or something like that. Second string plays 11, third string plays 7. You divvy it out between three guys, then maybe two of those freshman bigs can survive. But if Cam Martin or KJ Adams takes on one of those other big spots, like I feel confident in this. If Zach Clements doesn't end up starting, I do feel confident he'll be one of those two or three bigs in the rotation. So it's trying to figure out the other two. I could see it being KJ Adams, but again, like I, I'm not so certain they're not going to try to, you know, continue on the full transition of KJ Adams is is just playing as a wing. He's playing as a three and four if that's what they want to do long term. But it wouldn't shock me either if he's playing minutes at the five. Um, with Cam Martin, he could be in that discussion, and then it becomes maybe it just comes down to like if he's saying for sure one of the two freshman bigs is going to play, then it just comes down to who's going to win the battle between are we playing KJ at the five, um, Cam Martin versus that other freshman big man. But right now, it's it's tough to try to even decipher between Uday and, and Edgefer, which would be, I guess, kind of the spot for that one of two freshman big men who can play um, because Uday comes in with the higher ranking. He's the top 30 prospect. Edgefer isn't far behind. He's around the 40th spot. Um, and Uday has more height. He's 6'10". Edgefer is 6'8". But again, by wingspan, they both have the 7'2 wingspan, which you're blocking shots with your hands. You're not blocking shots with your head. Um and so you, you see a guy like Zuby Edgefer, you see the scouting reports and, and you see the success he had at like the, the Nike Peach Jam and stuff. And maybe he is the more college-ready product, whereas Uday is maybe the more long-term product uh, as far as athleticism and kind of being maybe more of a late bloomer along the way. I, I think that there's a case to be made for both. Like if this is one of those situations where it does come down to, you know, we're in January and you can't figure out the starting center and you're waiting for somebody to kind of take the bull by the horns, then maybe that that becomes more of a uh, an advantage to a guy like Ernest Uday who might take a little bit longer versus a guy like Zuby Edgefer who maybe is more college-ready, but then again, if he just is more college-ready over the course of the season and shows that early in the year and gains that trust right away, then maybe it does end up being Zuby Edgefer. But I, I think right now, if I had to guess who those, those centers are going to be as part of the rotation, if it's two-man gig... Probably goes Zach Clements. Oh, gosh. I guess Zuby Edgefer is where I'm kind of leaning among the freshmen. And then maybe Cam Martin plays the third role. Um, or KJ Adams if he is playing the five as opposed to the wing spots. And if it's two men, then I think I'm going Clements and Edgefer. All so these there, I'm on record with it. All these different numbers and scenarios just make me think of the Zach Galifianakis meme with the numbers flying no, around his head in the hangover. That's how I feel with this. But it, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, even though that's my, ex, my I guess, projection, I, I don't feel good about it at all. Because like I said, even if I'm predicting Clements and Edgefer are going to be your two main centers, like it's, it wouldn't totally shock me if we're sitting in January and it's Cam Martin and Ernest Duday, and it's neither of those guys. Here's my question. With the depth that there is at the big man spot, even though, you know, mostly young guys, do you redshirt one? 
That's a see. That's that's where it becomes tough with the guys like Edgefer and Uday because, you know, it, it's one thing to redshirt a guy who's a non top fifty prospect or who gets injured or, or or who came in with expectations that you know I, I'm going to be here for a while. Like for instance, Kyle Cuff comes in. He's he's like a, a barely top one hundred guy, and he reclassified as well. So it's like, of course, it makes sense to redshirt him. And, and you redshirt and, and get a year under your belt. Right. And, and then hope that you're ready for that next year. With those guys, like Ernest Uday was a McDonald's All-American. Like, try telling that guy, you know, as part of the recruiting process, hey, we want to bring you in, but we want to redshirt you. Right. And then all of a sudden you redshirt him when he comes in. Like, that that can catch a guy off guard. And is he going to transfer? So much with the transfer portal. And so, Zuby Edgefer, not a McDonald's All-American, but damn near close. So, um, Kind of imagine that, that that's a tough conversation that like that's just one of those things where there is as much as you know you don't want it to be there is like a we're playing the politics side of the game here because um you don't want a kid to transfer away and you also don't want that to be a thing where other coaches in the recruiting game for the future classes can say you know hey uh we're recruiting this kid who Kansas is also recruiting and are you sure you want to go there? They just redshirted their last McDonald's All-American. Like, they'll use it against him in right. negative recruiting. So it becomes more difficult there. You can't redshirt Cam Martin because he just redshirted this past season. Not going to redshirt Zach Clements because, like I said, I think he's in line for, for big playing time. I, and, and the thing with K.J. Adams is you're heading into your sophomore season. I think he's expecting and wanting a bigger role to where if you redshirt him, that's probably – Okay, well then I'm getting out of here. Like yeah, I'm, no, I'm you're transferring right. away. And yeah. I don't know that for sure. And, and I don't know. Maybe he would take it well, or maybe one of those guys would be receptive to that. I just, I, I think they like, it's it's just tough. It just it, it has worked out that way the last couple of years. Last year it worked out. Cam Martin was able to redshirt. Year before that it worked out. Mitchell Lightfoot was able to redshirt. Right. This crop of centers, I don't think it works out. I think you're right because I, it would be tough for me. You know, I come in as the top 75 recruit. All of a sudden, hey, you got to sit out a year because you were right about, you know, with Mitch Lightfoot and Cam Martin, they were ready to make that sacrifice. They already had the experience and they knew that the big man position was already had a lot of depth, especially with Mitch, uh, you know, in 2019, 20, you know, with David McCormick and Yudoka Azabuki, basically just redshirting him and then possibility of burning it. Let's say somebody got hurt, but, you know, thankfully it didn't work out that way. But, you know, you come in, true freshman, you know, these eyes that are wide because you're at the Division One level at one of the top universities in the country and one of the biggest blue bloods ever in basketball. Plus, the team just won the national championship. Bear that in mind. And then you're told to sit out a year. I, I don't see it. It's tough. It's tough. He's Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up on the other side, KU Football got a new commit. They're first for the class of 2023. Let's talk about it next. <laughs> 25 past the hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson, live in the KLWN studio here. KU football has their first class of 2023 commitment. It would be Taylor Davis. Taylor Davis uh, becomes the first. He is a six foot, 185 pound safety. And if you looked when he committed yesterday, uh, zero stars, unrated kid, and, and that's still the case in, in 24 7. Um, sports, but um, I was talking with Michael Swain earlier today, and he was saying, "Yeah, they'll they'll have a grade up on him soon." Um, so he, uh, I'm sure, we'll have a, a star rating next to his name coming up. You know, in the next I don't know, 24, 48 hours. I don't want to make promises for Michael <laughs> and his site here, but out of Missouri City, Texas, 
Another safety, we've seen a bunch of safeties join the program right now, um, but obviously this will be a year away from now. He picked Kansas. He had other offers to Arizona, Arizona State, Army, Austin P. Uh, the Arizona and Arizona State ones stick out. That's always something that you know I like to look at. He ended up with 18 offers, but those were the ones with the you know either most uh, I guess interest and possibly he had the most interest in. Those are two other Power Five schools, two other schools out of the Pac-12. I don't know a ton about this kid individually, but certainly sounds like a, a good player. He's got D1 size. He has other D1 offers. Um, I don't think this is really about, like, I, I'm going to sit here and just break down this kid. Like I said, I've never seen him. But it's more about this is the first commitment for the class of 2023 for KU, which is important for a couple of reasons. This could be a very big class upcoming for KU, not just because uh, in terms of every class is a big class, and especially when you're a new staff and and trying to get good players to come into the program. But, I, I mean, literally, from a literal standpoint, it could be a big class. You're trying to get up to the 85-man scholarship limit, and you have the, this two-year rule in the NCAA where, you know, forget the the 25 per year. You can just get up to the number you need to get up to. And um, KU didn't get all the way up there this year because they didn't just want to say, oh, we can get up there. Let's just bring on all these JUCO transfers and, and grad transfers who we don't think are good enough, but it'll fill our scholarships. No. They want to use those scholarships on players that they actually want. Uh, that that means that they have a lot more scholarships now to offer, whether it's the high school class, the transfer portal, uh, the JUCO market come this next offseason or right now. And so that means you have a lot of work to do with zero commits now getting your first. And so uh, it, it's important from that standpoint, but it's also important because this kind of signals the end to, at least in my opinion, adding to the 2022 class. It, it seems like you're turning the page to 2023. Uh, you've started summer classes for these kids, so it would have made sense that any final 2022 editions, you would have made them this past weekend. Now that you have gotten to the new, I guess, school year into the summer semester, you're going to start focusing on 2023. You want to start focusing your... Because you only have so much time in a day to recruit. You only have so much time that you can allot to each recruit and, and where you put that time management. You're going to start going to 2023. And that doesn't mean that there couldn't be a kid out there who is in the 20, class of 2022 who maybe KU's already offered and he's still trying to make a decision or maybe he's in the class of 2022 and, um, you know, he is a guy who hasn't yet transferred yet or um, is going to end up making a decision come August because he doesn't like where he is on the depth chart and, he ends up flinging up on the transfer portal, and he's a perfect fit for KU, and KU's like, you know what? Let's make this work. Let's bring this kid in. I don't, I don't mean from a standpoint of they're just like, nope, sorry, closed door, summer semester started. I just mean in terms of time management and, and where they're going to be starting to put their you know, biggest emphasis on recruiting. I think we've now hit the point where it is the focus to 2023. Yeah, no doubt, and I like that they're moving forward. Uh, with the class of 2023, and I believe what they're doing, especially getting a safety right now, they're looking ahead to the the positions that they can fill because just like with basketball, you know, thinking about Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller, trying to plan on that they'll be done after this year. They'll go to the draft. Football's got to do the same with Kenny Logan. You know, to some leaderboards, he's a top five, top 10 safety in the country, not the big 12, the country. So they're going to think about, you know, you know, he's a senior. Kenny Logan is, but he probably still has a year or two of eligibility due to COVID. You know, he hasn't been redshirted yet, but they, they're going to go in with the mindset that this is going to be Kenny Logan's last year. Should he ball out? Should the expectation either stay or rise above it? So that's I believe that's what they're doing. You know, yeah. They're bringing in a safety. Very first guy is a safety. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Jarrett Paul, the kid you brought in from Eastern Michigan, he's kind of a safety corner hybrid. I I think he might have only one year left. Marvin Grant, the guy you bring in from Purdue, um, it'll be his fourth season, but technically he could still have a couple of years. You just you, you don't know, and um, yeah, you, you want to get as much help to the secondary as you certainly can, and there is the first class of 2023 commit. I'm sure we're going to see more in the coming weeks for KU football. He's Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it.